0: Again, it's good to see you here this morning. Just while you're being seated, I want to encourage you. If you don't, uh, are unable to make Sunday school this morning or any morning, just encourage you to come to Sunday school. It's a wonderful time to study God's word. We're doing a study in the parables right now, and we're just kind of wrapping up Old Testament parables and going on into some New Testament parables. Sherry taught this morning, and it was wonderful. I appreciate her uh, preparation for that. If you would, turn with me in your Bibles and to 1 John chapter 3. Yeah, we're closing our series on our glorious future. We're not closing that thought. I pray it's kind of intertwined in, in all that we do as a church. Uh, really, that's the purpose of it. But we're closing this series, and this is the seventh sermon on, uh, on Sunday mornings here in a row. On this thought. I've been looking forward to this message and looking forward to this passage right here in First John chapter three for a while. So if you'll turn with me, first John three, we're going to read verses one through three. And we're going to get right after it. Behold, what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us that we should be called the sons of God. Therefore the world knoweth us not, because it knew him not. Beloved, now are we the sons of God. And it does not yet appear what we shall be, but we know that when He shall appear, we shall be like Him, for we shall see Him as He is. And everyone that has this hope in Him purifies himself even as He is pure. Amen? And so we're talking about this, our glorious future. There's a mouthful right here in these three verses that we read. When He appears, this is what is going to take place. We know that when He shall appear, we shall be like Him. And I say, what a blessed thought. What an amazing thing. Because how many of us long in our hearts to be more like Jesus? We sing songs, I want to be more like Him, right? We sing songs to be like Jesus. And that longing in our heart is going to be fulfilled. It's going to be fulfilled completely. It's going to be fulfilled to an extent that I don't think we can fully imagine. And I say, what a blessing, what a thought. What a fulfillment for our longing souls. The Bible says that uh, now we know in part, right? uh, But then we shall now we see through a glass darkly, but then face to face. We're going to see the Lord face to face. We don't see him face to face right now. I'm not saying we don't see the Lord by faith or that we don't trust the Lord or hear the Lord. Certainly he's that he's real to us now. But the Bible says now we see, and Paul speaking for himself, including in this. Now we see through a glass darkly. Okay, I can see the Lord, but it's not in the full view. He's not in full view to these eyes. But then, in His appearing, we're going to see Him face to face. Now I know in part. I know the Lord as much as I know the Lord. And I'm getting to know Him more. And Paul says, oh, that I may know Him. Right? Getting to know the Lord more and more. But then shall I know Him even as also I am known. Now we know He knows us perfectly. Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you, the Bible says, the Lord says. But we're going to know Him as we're known of Him. It's like going to be this perfect revelation, this perfect knowledge. It'll be complete. It'll be all at once. And then we'll have all eternity to continue to to appreciate and understand this great God and our Savior. And it's a tremendous fulfillment for our hearts. The Bible says he and he alone satisfies the longing soul and fills the hungry soul with goodness. He can he's the only one that can do that. The Bible says, and what we just read, we're the sons of God now. OK, and we're called the sons of God now. Behold, what manner of love the father hath bestowed upon us that we should be called the sons of God who calls us that the Lord calls us that. He calls us his sons and his daughters. We are by the new birth born again. We are the sons and daughters of God now, right now. And this is by faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the only way, okay? Is by true faith in the living God. It's not in joining a church, it's not in attending a Sunday school or Bible study or being part of the youth group. Paul told, I mean, Jesus told Nicodemus, You must be born again. It is a new birth, okay? But by that new birth, the moment we give our lives to the Lord, behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed upon us that we should be called the sons of God. Beloved, now are we the sons of God? So that's not something we're waiting on. We're not waiting on sonship. We're not waiting to be part of the family of God. We're not waiting on the new birth. If you put your faith in Jesus Christ, that is... Something that we have. That is something that the Lord has made us when He made us new in Christ. He washed us in the blood of Jesus and forgave all of our sins. But much more glory lies ahead for the people of God. Much more glory than what we have now. We're the sons of God now. But much more lies ahead for the redeemed of the Lord. It says when He appears, we know that when He appears, Into verse 2, that we shall be like Him. It doesn't say we know that if He appears, does it? It says in the Bible, the Word of God which changes not, which is forever settled in heaven. We know that when He appears. This is speaking of the rapture. We've taught about the rapture. His second coming is is His second coming or the revelation of the Lord when every eye is going to see Him. Even they that pierced Him. Even the enemies of the Lord are going to see Him at the second coming. This is speaking of the rapture when He appears and we're caught up to be with Him in the clouds. Then we're going to be like Him. We've talked about the rapture. We had two whole sermons in this series dedicated to the rapture. So... So uh, just, just to for study and sake, just so you know that the rapture is not something that's come along lately and fairly new within Chris, Christianity. This was the hope of the early church. There's no doubt about it. We see it in the Bible. And then we, we uh, I'm going to give you just just very quickly. We've already talked about most of these scriptures, but the rapture is talked about very clearly in first Thessalonians chapter four the end of the 13 through 18. It's spoken of very clearly in 1 Corinthians 15 at the end of that chapter. A a large portion of that. It's spoken of very clearly at the end of Philippians chapter 3. It's spoken of in our glorified bodies, the redemption of our bodies that we're groaning for. That is appearing in Romans chapter 8 and Titus chapter 2 which we're going to read a little bit later this morning. And in Hebrews 9 through uh, verse 28, the rapture is spoken of many times in Scripture. And it was the hope of the early church. Somewhere along the line, it's gotten for many many in the church is no longer a hope. It's no longer in, imminent. We don't know if it's real or not. And God wants it to, wants us to know it's real. We know that when He appears, we shall be like Him. Not if He appears, but when He appears. And so we are currently... Being made like the Lord. If you're born again. If you're not saved, you need to get saved. Give your life to Jesus. But if you're born again, even if you're a new Christian or wherever you are in that timeline, if you are truly in Christ, then then God is doing a work in every one of our lives. It may look a little different in Sherry and and Dee and me and and Liz or whoever we're looking at, the callings and so forth. But I can tell you one thing among many things that will be similar in all of our lives God is working in us to make us more like Himself. He is working in us to conform us to the image of His Son. That is an ongoing work. And that is a progressive ongoing work. It's like a process of sanctification. We're sanctified and separated unto the Lord, and yet we're being sanctified unto the Lord in our conduct, and our behavior, in our Christ-likeness. And this is a work of God that is taking place and is by the work of the Holy Ghost in us. By the work of the Holy Spirit in us, by grace, by the Lord's grace, by obedience as we, as the children of God, obey the Lord. When we don't obey the Lord, we can obey the Lord in repentance. We can obey the Lord in asking for forgiveness, right? And confessing our sins and coming back to the Lord. But as we obey the will of God and the Word of God, God is doing a work. It's a very real work of sanctifying us which has two meanings. It means to be set apart, but also sanctifying as far as purifying and being holy in our conduct and nature and so forth. We represent the Lord before men now. We're part of the family of God now. We are partakers of his divine nature now. The Bible says in 1 John 4, 17, for as he is, so are we in this world. That was a now thing that Paul was talking about. For as he is, so are we in this world. In this world right now with our feet planted here, we are his ambassadors. We are a little Christ. They were first called Christians at Antioch, right? And that term was not necessarily necessarily flattering for the people because they were unbelievers that were calling them that. But they they were that means little Christ. These people are just like that Jesus we've heard about. And so that's now on this earth. And yet, at the rapture, there's final change. That's kind of how I picture it. We're being all through your saved life. We're, the Lord's the potter and we're the clay, right? He's molding us all through your trials and adversities and good times and bad times. He's molding us in our Christ-likeness to be more like Jesus. We're growing. Speaking the truth in love that we're to grow up. He's making us more like the Lord. But we know that we know very well we're not all that we should be, right? All of us sitting here, none of us has fully arrived to where I say, God, "God, you don't need to work on me anymore. I've got it. You know, we know that God still needs to do much in our lives. At the rapture, that final change will take place. At the rapture, whatever is lacking will be filled. And I'm talking about in in our Christ-likeness. Certainly a glorified body, which we talked about. This body is not like His glorious body, but we're going to be robed, and this mortal will put on immortality, and our body will be fashioned like unto His glorious body. But even in our nature and character and everything, our purity of our thoughts, everything is going to be changed and will be like Him when He appears. That final change. And then we'll be with the Lord. So shall we ever be with the Lord. And y'all, here's what I want us to talk about today. The reality of this fact. It's not a fact. It's not a supposition. It's not the hope for some Christians. It is what He's given us in His Word. It is our future. It is part of our glorious future. The rapture. And when we see Him, we'll be like Him. This fact should have a profound effect upon our lives. And I'm saying for myself and for you, for every believer, it should have a profound effect upon our lives right now. What kind of effect? It ought to have a purifying effect upon our lives. It ought to have a cleansing, talk about moral cleansing and purity and so forth. It ought to have a sanctifying effect upon our lives now that we're separated unto the Lord. Not just because he calls me his own, but because I live like I'm his own. I'm separated unto the Lord. I, and, and he says, come out and be separate. Th- this fact that when we're going to see him and when he appears, we'll be like him, it ought to have effect, a profound effect upon our life. The people of God right now today on this earth as we wait for, with great anticipation, his appearing. Isn't that what it says? Look at verse 3 again. 1 John 3, 3. And every man that has this hope the hope of the rapture purifies Himself even as He is pure. Now, I don't have too much time today to spend on this, but that's telling me, and it's telling us that we as believers have a responsibility in this thing. It's not all just, I'm going to sit on the couch, or maybe lay on the couch, and I'm going to say, God, whatever You want to do in my life, do it. He says there's a lot of want to do in your life. It's not if you want. You know, I want to do something. I got a lot I want to do in your life and through your life and for your life. Here's what I've called you to do I'll give you the strength to do it. He gives us the strength and ability to do it. When we fail, if we confess, He'll forgive us. But He calls us to a light. Everyone that has this hope of the rapture, that's just this scripture, okay, purifies Himself. And so this is something that we're called to do. I can't. Cleanse myself from sin, so to speak. It's the blood of Jesus that cleanses me from sin. But I can't turn from my sin, right? Quit, you know, I can't break off my sins like Daniel told Nebuchadnezzar. Break off your sins with righteousness. I can by the grace of God, stop sinning. A lost person couldn't do that. They might curb a few habits and things like that, but they're sinners by nature. They can't help it. But a safe person can help it. Because He's a very present help in my life. It's still going to be His power that does it. But He has enabled me. There's an enabling and enabling by the Lord. And I just want to read this verse. You don't have to turn there. But in James 4, eight. draw nigh unto God. And He will draw nigh unto you. He's telling me I need to do something. Why is God always so far away from me? We might feel like the well, way He says, Well, the Bible says draw nigh to God. You have that privilege. You and I can come into the most holy place through the blood of Jesus. Draw nigh to the Lord by faith. Find you a prayer spot. Find this altar. Find you a prayer closet at your home. Go out in the woods under a pine tree and find a place and meet with God and say, God, I'm coming here today and I want to draw nigh to you. And He will draw nigh unto you. He promises that. But there is something I have to do. I'm only sharing this because about purify. Everyone that has that hope purifies Himself. We don't save ourselves. We don't forgive ourselves. But we can draw nigh to God. We can do what God's Word does tell us to do. Amen? As believers. Draw nigh to God. He'll draw nigh unto you. Cleanse your hands. Doesn't say your hearts right there. Cleanse your hands, you sinners. And purify your hearts, you double minded. That's a turning to the Lord. That's putting our faith in the Lord and walking in His ways that He's clearly prescribed. We don't say, God, you sit over there, I've got it. I can obey you perfectly, and I don't need you to help me do it. Yes, we do. We need Him every moment. Apart from me, you can do nothing. I'm the vine. You're the branch, right? Grafted in the vine. And so, we understand that. But everyone that has this hope of the rapture purifies himself. Now, we're going to read a, read a lot of Scriptures today. I want you to turn with me now to 2 Thessalonians chapter 5. A lot of these Scriptures that I've been... Are scriptures I've been wanting to get to, so to speak, and, and we're getting to them today. First Thessalonians chapter 5, we're going to read a good bit, we're going to read 1 through 11. Now, keep in mind what we're talking about. We're talking about we see the Lord and how we're at the rapture, we know it, we're going to be like Him, and how should that affect my life now? So, look at this First Thessalonians 5. One through eleven, but of the times and the seasons, brethren, ye have no need that I write unto you, for yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so cometh as a thief in the night. For when they shall say peace and safety, then sudden destruction shall come upon them, as travail upon a woman with child, and they shall not escape. But ye, brethren, are not in darkness that that day should overtake you as a thief. ye are of the ch- You are all the children of light. And the children of the day, we are not of the night, nor of the darkness. Therefore, let us not sleep as do others, but let us watch and be sober. For they that sleep, sleep in the night, and they that be drunken are drunken in the night. But let us who are of the day be sober, putting on the breastplate of faith and love, and for our helmet the hope of salvation. For God hath not appointed us to wrath, but to obtain mercy." To obtain salvation, I'm sorry, by our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, that whether we wake or sleep, we should live together with him. Wherefore, comfort yourselves together and edify one another, even as also you do. This is telling us right here, y'all, there's a lot that was in that passage, but it's an admonition to the child of God to live godly in light of the rapture. To live with the hope, to live with the joy, and to live godly. We're not children of the darkness, we're not children of the of the night. We're children of the light and children of the day. And y'all, just so we know, when we start this in verse one, but of the times and seasons, brethren, ye have no need that I write unto you. What is he talking about? Just before that, the passage of Scripture at the end of chapter four is a whole passage on the on the rapture. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. Wherefore, comfort one another with these words. That was the pre that led in to what we just read. We know the times. We know the seasons. We can see the signs of the second coming and the raptures before the second coming by at least seven years. And he says, this day shouldn't take you unaware. Uh, yeah, I want to spend some time for a moment here and and just talk about uh, in light of the rapture. The rapture is imminent. We did almost a whole sermon on that. Imminent simply means it's impending. It's at hand. The second coming of Christ is not at hand. We say, how do you know that? Are you some kind of prophet and have some kind of insight? No, I know it from the Word of God. The second coming is not Imminent. It's not at hand. The second coming cannot happen until a lot of prophecies, a lot of scriptures and events are fulfilled that have not been fulfilled. And we're given a specific timetable for those things. That whole period has to last for at least seven years. So we know the second coming of the Lord when His foot touches down the Mount of Olives is not imminent. I'm not trying to claim some special revelation. That's the Word of God teaches. That's what the Word of God teaches. If you want to turn here, you can. We're going to go back to uh, 1 Thessalonians 5 and spend some time there. But I'm going to read this from Matthew 24. I'm going to skip around. Verse 36, But of that day, I believe this is the rapture, an hour knoweth no man, not the angels of heaven, but my Father only. Watch, therefore, for you know not at what hour your Lord doth come. Wherefore, be ye also ready... For in such an hour as you think not, the Son of Man cometh. Now look, if we were to be living during the tribulation, which we won't be on the earth, and we had our Bibles, we could calculate to the day the Lord's second coming. But he says here that an hour when you think not, your Lord's coming. This is why I believe this is the rapture. And he's telling his disciples and his people, be ready. Who then is a faithful and wise servant? whom his Lord hath made ruler over his household to give them meat in due season. Blessed is that servant whom his Lord, when he cometh, shall find so doing. What is he saying there? He's telling us, be ready for the rapture. Watch, watch, watch. We can live in such a way, y'all, and we are admonished from the word of God to live in such a way, as it says in 1 Thessalonians 5, 4, that the day should not overtake us as a thief. Where do, when does the thief come? So the thief, thief come and you say, okay, it's 12.15, time for the thief to come. I'll, I'll be watching for him. I'll have my 12 gauge pointing out the front door. No, a thief comes at a time when you don't expect. And he says, the Lord's coming like that. Not the second coming, the rapture of the church. At a time when you think not, the Lord's coming. But he says, you're not Lost, And you're not of the darkness and of the night and ignorant to these things. You are the light of the world. Our minds have been illuminated. Our hearts, we've been saved. We're part of his family. We have the word of God and the Holy Ghost to teach us. And he says, you're not of the, nar- the night or the darkness of that day should take you, overtake you as a thief. He's telling us to watch and be prepared. Not only watch and be prepared to live, but to live in a certain way. You know what he's saying? Live for God. Live for God. Live for God with all your heart. Get more and more serious about living for the Lord in light of the rapture. We're not of the children of the darkness. Look at verses 4 and 5. But but you, brethren, are not in darkness that that day should overtake you as a thief. You are all, he's writing it, Christians, brethren, Christian brothers. You're children of the light and the children of the day. We are not of the night nor of the darkness. And so God's people are to actively be seeking His kingdom first and His righteousness first. And consciously, it's a choice that we make. Consciously striving after the Lord. I think so many people, it's just like you're... Anybody been tubing, inter-tubing down a a river? You probably have the lazy rivers at some of the hotels over at the beach or whatever. And you, you don't have to think of anything. You just... It's what makes it so fun, right? You just lay there. You can even fall asleep if you want. You're not going to drown. You know, it's not like you're going to go over a cliff. Uh, you know you're going to keep going the right direction. It's just nothing to think about. That's what makes it enjoyable. But our Christian life it is a conscious setting our hands to the plow and getting up today. Today, I'm going to live for God. Today, I'm going to trust the Lord. If I click on my phone, I click on the TV and an evil report comes, I've already determined I'm living for God. I'm trusting God. If I get a flat tire, four flat tires on the way to work, I'm living for God. I'm trusting the Lord. And it's a conscious choice we make. I want to grow in Jesus. I'm going to read the Bible today. You understand what I'm saying? It's not just, we're not on a lazy river. There's a rest that remains, but we haven't gotten there yet. That's that heavenly city where we're going. But we're not there now. We're heading that way. And so there's a conscious choice that we make. Let's keep reading. We're we're rereading it in 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 6. Therefore, in light of that, let us not sleep as do others, but let us watch and be sober. He's talking about on guard spiritually. We understand the times. We understand our own lives. We understand the Bible. We understand what God is trying to teach us. We understand what I'm to be doing and what my to be thinking on and what my heart is to be fixed on. Let us not sleep as do others, but let us watch and be sober. For they, so they that sleep, sleep in the night. They that are drunken, are drunken in the night. But let us who are of the day be sober. That simply means serious-minded putting on the breastplate of faith and love and for a helmet, the hope of salvation. This is what we're called to, y'all. In the next verse, and we're going to read and take a little time, one of the greatest arguments, if you want to call it that, or defenses of a pre-trib rapture. That means one of the greatest Scriptures from the Bible, and that's what we have to use as the Bible, to, to state and prove the case that the trip that the rapture of the church is before the tribulation period is verse 9. For God hath not appointed us to wrath, but to obtain salvation by our Lord Jesus Christ. Highlight that one in your Bible. In fact, I would say, other than the passage we opened with, 1 John 1, 3, 1 through 3, this would be one of the main scriptures we need to know. It's a short scripture, you can memorize it. Okay? God has not appointed us. And what is in the con- what's the context of what He's talking about? He's talking about the end of chapter four, the rapture being caught away. That this day wouldn't overtake you as a thief. That you're of the day, you're not of the night. Be sober, be watching, and so forth. For God has not appointed us to wrath. You know what you can do? Just let out aside and say, huh. Oh. Because I read about the wrath of God in the Bible, and it's real, and we can't really even imagine what it's like. And God says in His Word, I've not appointed you to that. I've not appointed you to that. What is the wrath of God? I want to just read this, y'all. Again, if you're taking notes, uh, Revelation 6 15, 16, 17. This is the beginning of the tribulation, by the way. What I'm reading is the beginning. You know how there's seven years and there's seven seal judgments followed by seven trumpet judgments followed by seven bold or vile judgments, each getting more severe than the group before. Um, And in the midst of that, halfway through, Antichrist comes in his power and sets himself up as God and it's going to be all hell on earth. It's going to be. Okay? This is the beginning of the tribulation. And the kings of the earth... And the great men. And the, and the rich men. And it says, and the captives and every man. It says, every man saith to the mountains and to the rocks, fall on us. You ever said to a big rock or cliff that you're standing on, or please fall on me and crush me? You know why they're saying that? For fear of the wrath of God. Because even the lost man understands this is God. And this is his wrath. Fall on us and hide us from the face of him that sitteth on the throne. That's Jesus Christ. And from the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of his wrath is come. Remember the beginning of the tribulation. It's not halfway through or right at the end when things get really, what somebody would say really bad, they're bad all the way through it. For the great day of his wrath is come, and who shall be able to stand? Okay, the wrath, I'm going to define it for you. Wrath in the Bible, and wrath in that context right there, means violent passion, justifiable punishment. I think that's important. Justifiable punishment. In other words, the Lord is still in his wrath just. All right? Indignation, vengeance, anger. Vengeance is mine, saith the Lord, I will repay. He's going to do it. There will be a payday coming. Why hasn't it come yet? Well it's come on certain places, came on Sodom and Gomorrah, right? Came on it can come on individuals and things like that, but his judgment on the earth when his wrath is poured out, and in his wrath will be poured out on the seat of the Antichrist and the beast and all those that are aligned with him during the tribulation period and so forth. There's, a, there's days of God, there's days of the Lord, but this is the great day of His wrath. And it's spoken of as being that period during the tribulation. And so, we are not appointed to God's wrath. Well, you keep saying that, I keep saying it because the Bible says that. We're not appointed to the wrath of God, but to obtain salvation. And we're to obtain mercy. We were... Uh, you know, in the darkness now we're in the light. He's called us into His glorious light. We were not a people, but now we are the people of God now. We're the people of God who had not obtained mercy, but now we've obtained mercy. He was always merciful, but I never benefited from it till I gave my life to Jesus. Really, didn't really benefit of it. But now I've obtained mercy. Now let me make this very clear. Please, please dial in. This is important. We as believers, without question, I'm going to repeat myself a little bit today. We will and do suffer persecution at the hands of lost men. We suffer persecution at the hands of wicked people and wicked governments and militaries and societies. No doubt about that. We suffer persecution, but we don't suffer the wrath of God. They're two different things. We just gave the definition of wrath. That's God Himself in justifiable punishment, punishing someone. That's not the same as you suffering at the hands of wicked people that bucks out preaching on the on the streets and they and they said, We told you not to do that. And he said, Well, God told me to do it. And they said, Well, you're going to prison. And he'll suffer persecution at the hands of Kings and magistrates and so forth. But that's not the wrath of God. God's going to be comforting him. God's going to be strengthening him. God's going to say, well done. You're coming home soon. You understand what I'm saying? That's not the wrath of God. We're not appointed to the wrath of God. We will, without question in this world, and I think increasingly so, suffer persecution. And if we suffer with him, we shall reign with him. Second Timothy chapter 2. His wrath is reserved for who? His wrath is reserved for lost men, for wicked men, for people that don't know the Lord. Okay, the people that don't know the Lord. And i want to turn and read this. Look at, uh, again, we're going to look at a lot of Scripture. 2 Thessalonians. So just turn over one more. 2 Thessalonians chapter 1. We could read a lot, but for our purposes we're going to start in verse 4. 2 Thessalonians 1.4. So was writing to Christians. This is a wonderful church. So that we ourselves glory in you in the churches of God for your patience and faith in your pers- all your persecutions and tribulations that you endure. You know what Paul's saying? All the churches, including me, all the other churches, we're almost like honored. We're glorying in your, your patience and the faith and the way you're going through the, all your persecutions. This church must have been persecuted quite a bit. And Paul saying, we're, we're proud of you, we're identifying with you, we're thankful for the way you're going through your persecution, which is a manifest token of the righteous judgment of God that ye may be counted worthy of the kingdom of God for which you also suffer. Seeing it as a righteous thing with God to recompense tribulation to them that trouble you. God's going to God's going to recompense those that are persecuting you, he says. And to you who are troubled, rest with us when the Lord Jesus shall be revealed from heaven. I believe that's the second coming with his mighty angels in flaming fire, taking vengeance on them that know not God and that obey not the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ who shall be punished. He's talking about those that don't know the Lord with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power. That last part that we read, that's the wrath of God, okay? That's the wrath of God to which we're not appointed. And so, we in Christ are not appointed to that, but to obtain salvation. We suffer persecution. His wrath is, is appointed to those. He says right here in the Bible that He's going to come in flaming fire, taking vengeance on them who, who know not God. Do you know the Lord? Then his vengeance, that's His wrath, it's not for you. He's going to come in flaming fire, taking vengeance on them that know not God, that obey not the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. If you obey the gospel, we can be born again. If you're not, His wrath's not for you, who the Lord shall punish with. He's going to punish these people with the everlasting destruction for the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power. And so the tribulation period, seven years long after the rapture, will will be a time where God's wrath is poured out. As I said, that's not the only time God's ever poured out wrath. Sodom and Gomorrah was a good example. But it is called the great day of his wrath. He's going to pour it out upon the whole world. And he's going to take vengeance. Holy, righteous, justifiable vengeance and punishment will be meted out. Have you ever thought? I know I have. And I have a you know, if I if I was really persecuted or one of these through history, what if that was your dad that Nero put out and you know threw to the lions back in that day because he was a Christian? You understand or your brother that the Lord took and I mean that Nero took and and he he used to light Christians on fire in the front of his palace for a sport for entertainment, and you say God get him, you know what I mean? When, how long are they going to get away with stuff like this? And it's been a long time. It's been a long time. God is going to bring an end to that. And when those individual persecutors die, they're, they're tormented, okay? But even during the tribulation period, all the world systems, when's communism going to be judged? How many people have been crushed by communism? Their hopes, their joys, their families, everything ruined, their lives ruined by communism. When is that going to be judged? When is God going to say enough? You know what he's going to do? it When he comes back again and sets up a kingdom on this earth. He will take vengeance upon them because all of it has its roots in Antichrist, in the spirit of Antichrist. It's satanic. When is he going to judge these deceivers who are knowingly deceiving people into a false belief system. He's going to do it individually when they die. But when's he going to judge the sorcerers and all that type of thing on the earth? He's going to judge the earth during the tribulation and he will mete out his punishment. The great day of his wrath has come. The captains of the earth, the kings are saying, rocks, please fall on us. We just want to die now. Crush us now. I'd rather be crushed than to face this Wrath is being poured out. That's the description that's given in the Bible. So the tribulation period will be a time of, of that where God is has a purpose. He's meeting out His judgment upon the earth. He's also seeking to save national Israel to regather Israel. And when He comes back to the second coming, He is going to literally rescue them. Like a movie where the hero comes in at the last moment, the last possible second and rescues away Whoever he's trying to rescue, this will be greater than that. It will be uh, amazing, and we'll be with him. I think it's important to know this: that the wrath of God is not for the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's not for that. The Bible says in in Luke chapter twenty-one, thirty-six: Watch ye therefore, and pray always, that ye may be accounted worthy to escape all of these things. That shall come upon, to come to pass, and to stand before the Son of Man. The way we're worthy to escape all of it, all of it is what's list, listed in Matthew twenty-four and in Luke about uh, the deception, the end of the end of the age, and the sun being, you know, the moon being blackened and the sun being blackened and so forth. All of that, he says, watch that you be counted worthy to escape it all. That's by putting our faith in Jesus. How else could you be worthy? before a holy God, if it were not for the blood of Jesus and His righteousness. We're not appointed to that, y'all, we're not appointed to that. We are now the children of God. We have already, by faith in the Lord, been passed from death to life. This is interesting, y'all, that the church, when you study the book of Revelation, we did it in Sunday School last year, went through every verse, the whole, whole book of Revelation, when you study through the Book of Revelation, or just read through it, the church—that's the born again, the body of Christ, right—is mentioned in chapters one, two, three, and you could say the beginning of, of chapter four of Revelation. Then the church is not mentioned again. Does anybody know when the church is mentioned again in Revelation? Chapter nineteen, verse eleven, and I saw the heavens open, and the Son of Man coming right on a white horse. And the armies of God, robed in white, which is the righteousness of the saints, followed him. The church is absent. The church, who is his body, is not mentioned during the tribulation period. Because the church, which is the body of Christ, which he's dealing with all through the scriptures here. Certainly the New Testament is not mentioned because the church will be in heaven with the Lord. We would have already been caught up with the Lord. While this all plays out on the earth. Does not mean people won't be getting saved. There will be people getting saved. They, they weren't saved. They went into the tribulation. They didn't take the mark of the beast. That there, there'll be all kinds of testimony and witness for the Lord during the tribulation period. And there're going to be people getting saved. And there will be what we call tribulation saints or tribulation martyrs because they're going to be beheaded for the for their stand for the Lord and refusal to worship the antichrist or his image. And so people will be saved. But the church that's it's here now or living at the time when the, when the tribulation is about to start, we're going to be raptured. The church is not mentioned in Revelation from chapter 4, the very beginning, to Revelation 19. And when the church is mentioned in those times, we're in heaven with the Lord. We'll come back with the Lord. I think that's very important to know. I'm not trying to uh, convince you of something that's unbiblical and twist and pervert things. This is what the Bible says. And so think about this. And We were by nature children of what? What does it say in Ephesians 2? Wrath. When we were lost, we were children of wrath. If you're here today and you're not born again, and you're not sure that you're born again, truly saved, you are by nature right now a child of wrath. But God has committed his love towards us we can be saved by grace through faith and you can now. But think about that. That was, we were children of wrath. In other words, we were appointed to the wrath of God. I picture the sword of God hanging over my head and I didn't even know it. Now I put off giving my life to Jesus later and getting serious about God. And, and I was a fool. Because there was a point I was a child of wrath. And it could have taken my life in the next second. And I would have been eternally experiencing the wrath of God but he spared me, okay? I'm, I'm just simply making a point. The wrath of God, we were by nature children of wrath. That wrath is poured out upon the wicked, the ungodly, them that know not God, them that obey not the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so, we, we're we not children of wrath now. We're saved. We're raised up. We're made to sit together in Christ Jesus. So if you're in... Uh, let's go back to First Thessalonians. I'm going to try to bring this on. Uh, we read this. 1 Thessalonians 5, nine. For God hath not appointed us to wrath, but to obtain salvation by our Lord Jesus Christ. Now it's talking about Jesus. We're not appointed to wrath. It says He died for us. That whether we wake or sleep, whether we're living in Christ or we died in Christ, we should live together with Him. Wherefore, comfort yourselves together and edify one another, even as you also do. And I know that I've said it, and I'm not the first one to say it, but I've heard it before. It would not be comforting to me if Jordan comes up and says, hey, Randy, buckle down. We're getting ready to go through the tribulation. Really? Yeah, that's what the Word of God says. Just hunker down. We're going to try to do our best to trust God and survive it. Our children are going to be taken from us. We're not going to be able to buy You know, I'll sell if we don't take the march. We'll be confronted with all this. But you know, I just want to comfort you with that. That, that would not comfort me. Wherefore, in context, we're not appointed to the wrath of God, comfort one another with these words. What does it say in First Thessalonians 4.18? Just look back, the chapter right before the last verse, in light of the rapture. Wherefore, comfort one another with these words. This is to be a comfort for us. People say, you just think you can get out of any kind of trouble or trial. Or problem. No, that's not what I'm saying. We suffer persecution. It can be severe. We might suffer severe persecution. That's still not his wrath. And the tribulation period is a period of wrath. And I'm not going through it. And I can comfort you with that. And you can comfort me with that. Because we see the signs of the second coming. I'll just share this. I stayed up. I stayed up. I got up. Um. Keith Malcolmson is a a friend of ours, a pastor in Limerick City, Ireland. He was hosting a conference, not hosting, he was participating in a Zoom conference. They're in total lockdown there. And he invited me to to be part of it. I put it on our group text last week. And there, of course, the time difference, six hours ahead. Somehow I miscalculated. (laughs) It was going to start at 3.30 a.m. yesterday morning, our time. I thought it was 2.30 a.m. I was awake at 2 o'clock, if you want to call it awake. You know, I'm awake. My hair's sticking straight up. I'm sitting in front of the Zoom meeting at 2 a.m. And I want to see it because he's talking about the Great Reset. If you've heard about that, the Great Reset, this world economic uh, forum and, and a global takeover of the economy of governments. And it's even creepier than that. It's even more overtaken than, than that. And he had himself, he was going to be speaking, and he's done a lot of research. He cited his research. He, he told where he got it from. He didn't pull things out of thin air. He showed uh, PowerPoints and things like that. All three speakers. There was an economist from London who used to be part of the government and worked with their economic policies there who was retired, who was a believer. He shared And then there was a retired physician who shared about the COVID concerns and the vaccines and things like that. And they're all from uh, all cited their sources and that kind of thing. But y'all, if I thought, if I can see the signs of the tribulation in the one world, everything going on now and we do. I don't want to immerse myself in that because I would be overcome with fear. But I see it. And if we see that and we're not and I'm not going to go through the tribulation, then when could the rapture happen? How soon could the rapture happen? I'm not telling you it's today. I'm telling you to live like it's today. I'm still telling you it wouldn't be unbiblical to think it's today, and if it happened today. We need to live that way, and there's hope. There's a hope and there's a mercy that God's already given us and I'm not appointed to His wrath. Amen? I just want to move on it and try to bring this to a close, y'all. 1 John 2.28. Look at that with me. I don't have time to, to give all the Scriptures I wanted to. First John 2.28 And now little children, abide in Him. He's speaking of Christians. Abide in Him. Stay in Jesus. That when He shall appear, that's the rapture, we may have confidence and not be ashamed before Him at His coming. You know what that tells me? That tells me I could live. And I know because I've lived that way as a Christian. I could live in such a way that oh, I, I was kind of got caught up in the world. When I'm caught up in the world and the rapture comes, it's going to come. It's going to come when he says it's going to come. And I don't want it to take me, overtake me as a thief in the night where I wasn't so actively serving God when it happened. And I could be ashamed that it's coming. I'll still go with him in the rapture because I'm born again. But I could be ashamed to see him face to face based on how I'm neglecting the things of God based on how I took my eyes off the Lord and started getting off here into the world. You understand the point? He says, Abide in him, that we don't we're not ashamed as appearing. And I don't want to be ashamed at the Lord's appearing appearing. I'll just read this from 1 Timothy six four that thou keep his commandment without spot, unrebukable, until the appearing Of the Lord Jesus Christ. Keep his commandments. Keep his without spot. unrebukable, Until the appearing. Of the Lord Jesus Christ. Part of that y'all. Part of that. Just forgive me y'all. But part of that is going to be our fulfilling. The great commission. Part of that is going to be warning others. Of the wrath to come. That's a big part of it. Not being ashamed of his coming. What well, if we're raptured? And we, oh, I'm so glad I'm raptured, I'm out of this and missed the tribulation. Yeah, but your dad's going through it. Because you didn't tell him. You understand? We're gonna be ashamed of ourselves. There's no reason other than our own timidity and fear, or we're too busy that we don't tell others about Jesus. We're afraid. Too much flesh still living, like we're talking about on Wednesday nights, right? To to tell them the lord told ezekiel son of man if you if you warn the sinner of the wrath to come and they don't flee then it's on them i'm paraphrasing but if you don't warn the sinner and i've told you to warn him i've set you as a watchman on the wall he said and i tell you to warn the sinner of his wicked way and the wrath to come and you don't do it they'll die in their own sin and go to hell But their blood, I'm going to require. Think about it. In your hand. I I don't know. That doesn't mean we're going to hell. But I can tell you what. The Bible talks about suffering loss or not suffering loss. At the judgment seat of Christ for believers. And I don't want to be guilty. Paul said, I'm innocent. I declare to you this day, I'm pure from the blood of all men. He could cleanse his hands and say, look, everybody that God wanted me to witness to, I did. I flat out told him the truth. Got thrown in prison for it. Got all kinds of got beat with stripes, Uh, but I, everyone he told me to witness to, I did. And he, that's one thing he wasn't gonna have to worry about. I did everything that Jesus told me to do. And he says, "For I have not shunned to declare unto you all the counsel of God." He talked to him about the Lord, and I want to close. With this, y'all, I had so much more I wanted to say. But I just feel like we should go on and close here. Turn with me in your Bibles. D, you can come. Hebrews chapter 12. Read with me in verse 22. But you are come, believers. You are come... Unto Mount Zion, you see how it's spelled with an S. Every time that you see Zion with an S, it's speaking about the heavenly city, the heavenly Jerusalem, not the earthly Mount Zion. But you are come unto Mount Zion and unto the city of the Living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to an innumerable company of angels, to the general assembly of the church of the firstborn, which are written in heaven. And to God, the Judge of all, this, all Judge of all, and to the spirits of just men made perfect, and to Jesus, the Mediator of the new covenant, and to the blood of sprinkling that speaketh better things than that of Abel. Skip down to verse twenty-eight. Wherefore we receiving a kingdom which cannot be moved. This is our glorious future, y'all. We receiving a kingdom which cannot be moved. Let us have grace whereby we may serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear. For our God is a consuming fire. Amen? He's telling us in light of it all. This is your promise. It's a glorious future. But we're not there yet. We're not to all the heavenly things that he has for us. The rapture, the glorified body. That's all part of our glorious future. We spent seven weeks talking about it. There's a rest that remains, a glorified body on and on. We'll be like him when we see him, but we're not there yet. And so while we're not there yet, serve God with godly fear and reverence and acceptably serve the Lord. I want to read this in, in closing. John Bunyan lived in the 1600s over in England and was at wonderful Christian, godly man. He wrote that book, Pilgrim's Progress. Many of you may have read or at least heard about. He spent years in prison. Years of his life in prison for his faith. Years. Okay? Here's what he wrote. Part of one of his diary letters that he wrote. Let dissolution come when it will. It can do the Christian no harm. For it will be but a passage out of a prison into a palace. Out of a sea of troubles into a haven of rest, out of a crowd of enemies, to an innumerable company of true, loving, and faithful friends, out of shame, reproach, and contempt, into exceeding great and eternal glory. What does he say? When this life's over, I'm just passing, in his case, from a prison into a palace. I'm just passing from enemies that are gnashing their teeth at me and cruel to me and abusing me, I'm passing to an innumerable company of saints and angels and friends. It's just, that's our glorious future, y'all. And we're going to close, we're closing this series. I want to encourage you not to run off. Take some time. Come to these altars or make an altar at your, your seat where you are. There's another altar in the back. But y'all, this is, this is our future. And y'all, we're not appointed to God's wrath. That means we're going to be called out of here soon. Because this wrath is coming. But it's not something we're appointed to. And let's take some time and thank God and glorify God. And let's also take some time to take account of our lives. Am I serving God in light of the rapture with a fervency? Am I telling others, Son of Man, I've set you as a watchman? He set us all as salt and light and watchmen and ambassadors for Christ. I've set you as a watchman. If, if I tell you to go to someone and share the somewhere to someone and share the gospel and warn them of the wrath to come. And you don't do it. Certainly they'll be responsible when they die. They'll be judged for their own sin and and their unbelief. But He'll require that in our hands because He told us to tell them. Told me to tell them. You understand what I'm saying? Let's take some time at the altars and, and just worship the Lord. Father, we come before You in the mighty name of Jesus.